Welcome to Diving Into Deep Waters. I am your host, Erin Rowling, and we are in part three of Esther. And I'm just going to be honest, we do not have time for chitty chit 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 chit, whatever, chit chat. Um, because there's a lot here. <laughs> if we don't dive in, we are going to end up being in Esther for like five podcasts. Four, five podcasts. This is our third, right? I can't count. I actually can. I can count. So I just feel like we need to get in. And I will say, though, I would love to just keep going with Esther for many more podcasts because I'm a little sad that it's coming to a close. But I feel like I've learned so much. I have a new appreciation for this book of the Bible. And I hope you do too. So. We are going to just do a little recap and then we're going to get right back in because, you know, that's what they do in an episode. They're like, on last week's episode, so that's what we're going to do on last week's episode of Diving Into Deep Waters. Yes, I do know the name of my podcast. We were in Esther, obviously, Um, but we left off with Esther and Mordecai having an intense conversation that entailed Esther um, going before the king to ask for her life and the life of her people to be spared. So just, this is a big deal. It's such a big deal because just appearing before the king without being summoned, that's a big deal. That in itself is a big deal. But think about it, on top of it, Esther is revealing who she is. She's a Jew and asking for him to spare her people's life, her life. Like, it's one of those moments where it's like, you know, he could feel like she had been lying to him, that she had kept something from him. Husbands don't like that. (laughs) Kings don't like that. And so this is a pretty tall order that she is bringing to him. It's not just like, hey, I just wanted to say hi. (laughs) It's like, uh, I actually have a pretty big request. And it's basically, I mean, to think about it, it's like asking him to undo a decree that he signed off on. And that is probably never a great idea to ask a king to do that because that makes him look like he didn't make a good decision in the beginning. And first of all, Nobody likes to feel like they didn't make the right decision in the first place, especially a king. And I love, I don't know, this part spoke to me just how much Esther realizes she cannot do this in her own strength. Such a smart girl. Such a smart girl. And so she asked Mordecai and the Jews to fast and pray for three three days. And on that third day, Esther puts on her royal robes. She is like dressed for success. She wasn't going to go in there just wearing her like everyday dress. It was like, I I think there's intention here because I'm just thinking about this now. It's just popping in my head because by her wearing her royal robes, wearing her crown, it's like kind of signifies she, she is somebody like she is worth him saying, it's okay for you to come talk to me. And I think that It wasn't just like some lowly person. She's the queen for goodness sakes. And so I think her, it, I don't know, everything in the Bible has intention. 
And I think it even saying, because it says that, that she put on her royal robes, it was to say like, hey, I'm somebody and I have something that I need to talk to you about. And this is important. And she stands in the inner court of the palace where the king is sitting on his throne. And when he sees the queen, it says he was pleased with her and he holds out that royal scepter. Probably in that moment, she was like, oh my goodness. I mean, she probably (laughs) couldn't breathe for a little while. I don't know. She probably didn't eat that day, I'm assuming. Because, you know, like whenever you have like something big going on, like you can't eat because you're so nervous. I can't imagine the amount of nerves that she had, the amount of anxiety she had. Like, this is, I mean, if you remember in the last podcast, we remember her saying, like, if I die, I die. But, like, saying that and that actually happening are two different things, just FYI. So, I think her, I don't know, I just can't imagine what she must have been feeling in that moment. Because I think of things in my life that have been, like, big moments. And like, I can't sleep, I can't eat, I'm like, it's hard for me to concentrate. (laughs) It's, there's a lot going on of like how the situation could turn out or any of those things. And yet, here she is, she's like, okay, I'm going to do this. And so when he put out that royal scepter, that must have been like, such a massive sigh of relief, like, okay, but she's still not done. It's That's the first part of what needs to happen is for her to be able to go in and talk to him. Um, But, and if, I don't know if we talked about this in the last podcast or not. So if I'm repeating myself, oh well. Um, But that holding out that royal scepter, if he didn't extend it, like you were in trouble. It was like, that's a no-go and you're probably going to go get beheaded. Like that's... Him putting out that royal scepter is everything. And thankfully, he does it. And um, yeah, I lost my place. I love it when I lose my place. It's my favorite thing when this happens, when I can't remember (laughs) what happens. Okay, so the royal scepter, I got it. Royal scepter, he puts it out. That signals that Esther can approach the king. And then the king asks like, what is it, Queen Esther? Like, what is your request? You can have even up to half the kingdom and it will be given to you, which is awesome that he's already like, I know you're here for a reason and you can have anything you want up to half my kingdom. I'm like, what would you ask for that could possibly be more than half his kingdom? But I do want to stop here because this is something I learned and I'm so excited to share it with you. Again, we said, like, there's just, there's little things baked into this that I didn't know. If you knew it, you're so much smarter than me. But this verse right here where she approaches the king and he he says to her, like, ask me whatever you want. This verse is pivotal because it actually occurs in the very center of the book of Esther. This verse is in the very middle of the book. It is the tipping point of the narrative of Queen Esther, of her story. Isn't that crazy? Like this moment, the moment that's going to change the tide, the moment where it's like the climax of the story of Queen Esther is where she asks. Do you think that's by chance? I personally don't think that's by chance at all. And not only that, okay, so 
This is also exciting. I hope I can explain it while we're where you're tracking with me. So Esther fasted for three days. Do you think she just randomly picked a three-day fast? Do you think she was just like, I should fast and pray? Or do you think there was significance with fasting and praying? I think there's a tremendous amount of significance here. And I actually was like, what is up with the three-day fast? What is behind this? And I was researching, researching, researching. Couldn't find anything that I felt like was a tangible explanation. It was like, she just knew to fast. And I was like, but there has to be something here. Because anytime the Bible says things, it's something important. And so I finally came across this article that I read. And I was like, there it is. Okay, do I know this for sure? No. It's not gospel truth, but it makes sense. I'm just saying it makes sense. So Esther asked for them to fast for three days. On that third day, when she makes her ask, that night is when she's going to break her fast. Now, on that third day, so the Jews are actually, it's actually Passover for the Jews. That's leading up to this is Passover. And Jews, first of all, do not fast in Passover because Passover is a celebration. So they might fast leading up to Passover, but they definitely don't fast during it. So when she, so she, first of all, she's asking them to do something they don't normally do. But on the day that she breaks her fast, that day in Passover is actually the festival of first fruits. And it's when they would take like a sheave offering which is like grain, a sheave of grain, and they would wave it before the Lord in anticipation of blessing. Okay? So, she goes before the king and she makes an ask on the third day that she's going to break her fast, the festival of fruits that they used in anticipation of getting blessing. Do you think that's a coincidence? I surely do not think so. (laughs) Because that is some faith. Like, this day is important. I'm sorry, but Esther is one smart cookie. Like, there's a lot more here than just numbers like three-day fast or, you know, this or that. No, there is intention, so much intention in this book. So, Esther makes her ask, and she's basically like, if it pleases the king, let the king together with Haman come to a banquet that I have prepared for him. First of all, also very smart, because what is the best way to a man's heart? Like, what? how do you get what you want? You feed him. <laughs> and that's exactly what she does. She's like, I got a banquet, and it's ready. And I want to feed you before I ask you what I need to. And it totally works. Because the king's like, bring Haman at once. That's actually what it says. It says, bring Haman at once. He's like, get Haman wherever you got to find Haman. Go find that dude. And we need to go do what Esther asks. So the king and Haman go. And as we already know, they like their wine. Again, no No detail is too small. And this banquet is no different because Esther has the wine flowing. She's like, I'm going to feed him. 
I'm going to uh, give him some wine. I'm going to get him in a good place before I make this this ask. And so the king, the king and Haman, they're indulging, but the king's like, "All right, Esther. He's he's no dummy either, right? He's like, Esther, what do you really want? Like." Why did you do this? What What is the significance of this? Now, in this point, I think I grew up always thinking that Esther kind of chickened out because she's basically is like, you know, can can you come to a second banquet? Like she doesn't make the ask. The first time she doesn't make the ask. And so again, it was one of those things where I was like, all right, what is going on here? Because there has to be a deeper meaning to this than she just didn't want to ask or she wasn't sure if he was drunk enough or she hadn't fed him enough or he wasn't in a good enough mood. And so, again, I did some research on this. Okay, so the reason for this second banquet was unlike it was for the first banquet. Remember, the first banquet was already prepared. She was like, I have a banquet. You can come. I'm going to feed you and I'll, I'll make my request. But when she asked him to come back, the second banquet will be prepared only when the king has agreed. And by him accepting that invitation, he's already going to meet the request Esther makes. It's basically like by her asking him to attend the second banquet, she already knows he's going to give her what she wants. Think about that. Like she manages to achieve her goal without ever disclosing what she really wants. He already agrees. I'll come and I'm already going to give you whatever you want. Like up to half my kingdom. You got it, girl. So this first banquet is actually a setup for the second banquet, which is guaranteed to deliver on what she is going to ask. How brilliant is that? You guys, like literally, how brilliant is that? And not only that, here's another thing that I read that I was like, oh my goodness. So if she would have asked the first day at the first banquet and said, okay, King, this is my ask. I'm sure he would have given it to her. I'm sure like things would have played out. But I think there was some significance with the second ask because the next day at the banquet, the second banquet, it actually is the same day. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself, but now I already started. So it's the same day. It's the seventh day, seventeenth day of Nisan, which is the Hork's I can't Hork historic day when God destroyed Pharaoh and his army. Listen, Esther knew this. Remember we talked about how um, when Esther went to the palace and like she knew the things about God. Like she knew about the um, the Torah, which was the word of God. I'm sure Mordecai had taught her. She knew the Bible stories. Like you know how you as a kid, you're raised with the Bible stories. You know, she knew about Exodus. She knew about all that. This is stuff she'd probably learned since she was a little girl. And I don't think it's a coincidence that she makes an ask for the end of a wicked man the same day 
the same exact day that Pharaoh and all of his army were swallowed up and were over. Isn't that amazing? So I think timing is everything. Like, and we, okay, I'm just going to go off a tangent here. It's not even in my notes. And we buck timing. We are such buckers of timing. Like, we want things when we want them. There's a, a situation with my friend's daughter, and it's just like, things just seem to be getting worse. And I'm like, okay, God, anytime now. Like, let's go. Let's get get on the move here. And yet, I am convicted <laughs> by timing. What is God's timing? It's not our timing. And I think that Esther wasn't a chicken. I don't think that she, I think she knew that there were certain days and there was a certain way and she she abided by that. She took her time. Me, I would have been like, hey, by the way, um, I'm getting destroyed and I'm freaking out and my people are going to die. And so could you please do something about it? No, that's not how she acted. She held herself with such, I don't know, just regalness and self-control to just be like, all right. There's a timing to this. There's importance to this. And I you, I just don't think for one second that you can say that the day she asked was a coincidence to the same day that Pharaoh was taken down because these men were evil and they needed to be taken down. Yeah, I just think it's God's timing. I think it was planned specifically with intention and I am mesmerized with that attribute that I believe Esther possessed it's just the ability to be patient and to know the right timing because I don't know about you guys but that is something that I struggle with and I think it was brilliant <laughs> and I think it was intentional and that is something that I need to work on in my life <laughs> All right, that was just a side. That was just a freebie little point there, you guys. But I'm, I love it because I need to learn that. I need to work on that. All right. So Haman and the king agree that they're going to come back for the second banquet. All right. And they go on their merry, merry little way, especially Haman. Like Haman is on cloud nine. He is on a high. It says that he went out that day happy and in high spirits. And you know, I realized I didn't say to you exactly what the ask was oh do I go back do I not um or actually am I ahead of myself nope I'm not I'm in the right spot look at me (laughs) in the correct spot I just this is what happened I looked over at my bible and I saw what was underlined and I thought to myself you didn't read the ask but she didn't ask yet she just asked him to come to dinner Aaron. Okay. So, uh, Haman, he's on a high. He is until he sees Mordecai. And remember, Mordecai doesn't bow to him. Mordecai's like, nope, you're not God. I can't do it. And now Haman is filled. It says he was filled with rage, but it says he restrained himself in the moment. But guess what? Only in the moment because this guy needed to vent. He needed to vent his feelings because his pride was hurt because here he gets invited to a banquet with the king and the queen and then he walks out and there's Mordecai like, 
not doing it, dude. You're just another Joe Schmo on the road, not doing it. And it infuriates him. So this is what he does. He's like, I can't just process my feelings by myself. No, I have to get my friends and my wife Jerish together. And first, I mean, this is like the friend that none of us like or never want to have, okay? Because he boasts in all he has, his wealth, his sons. I wonder how many daughters he had. I should have looked that up. I wonder how many there were. Because he didn't boast about them. Excuse me, girls are awesome. He boasted about all the ways the king had honored him and how he was the top dog above all the rest of the nobles. And then he puts the cherry on the top. He actually says this. He's like, and I am the only person Queen Esther invited to the banquet with the queen with the king. And guess what? She has invited me tomorrow as well. But that's not enough. Greed is never enough. Wanting power, it never satisfies because he has a pity party because he says that gives me no satisfaction as long as I see Mordecai at the city gates. Man, what a little temper tantrum. It's like, I have all these things, but this one thing that I don't have is one man who won't give me the respect that I believe I deserve. Now, his friends and his wife, instead of being, you know, like, listen, Haman, you have all this stuff. I mean, come on. What what more could you want in life? It's one guy. Don't let one guy bother you. You know, move on. It's okay. No, no, that's not what they do. They feed in to his pity party. And they're like, we have a brilliant idea for you, Haman. How about you have some gallows built, like 70 feet high, 75 feet high, which actually is two school buses put back to back, just for those of you who are wondering. And you can ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai hanged on it. And then when you go to the banquet with the queen and king, you can go happily because Mordecai will be taken care of. And Haman was delighted with this plan. And guess what? He had the gallows built. That must have been some quick building because the next day is when they get used. Meanwhile, the king cannot sleep. Apparently, he didn't have any melatonin for those of you who use that to go to sleep. I don't think they had that back then, although that is a natural thing, right? Yeah, it's natural. That's what my husband tells me. It's natural, so I can take it every night. I love you, babe. Anyways, <laughs> so what would he have done when he can't sleep? Remember we talked about the book of the Chronicles, which is basically the history of his reign. He would have it read to him. That's how they would fall asleep because maybe it was boring. I don't know. But they get to the part where Bigneth and Teresh, remember we talked about the two officers that were in the doorway that conspired to assassinate him? That account was in there. But what wasn't in there? It wasn't recorded what honor had been given to Mordecai for exposing their plan. Esther had said, hey, give the honor to Mordecai. So it said that Mordecai had exposed it, but what it didn't say is how he had been rewarded. So the king was like, what honor and recognition has been given to Mordecai? And they're like, uh, nothing. 
And the king was like, well, that's a problem. We need to, we need to rectify that. So it must have been morning because he's like, who's, who's in the court? Who can, what noble is here because I need somebody to come help me figure this out. And at that moment, Haman enters the court and he's come to ask the king to hang Mordecai. That's what he's there for. He must have been there early. He must have been like, I'm so excited. I'm going to get rid of this guy. I got to get there. But this doesn't, it's not, he should have slept in. Let's just say that. <laughs> and basically they're like, well, Haman is here. And so um, this is, this is where pride goes before a fall. It, it, that verse is very applicable here because it's what happens. Because the king asked Haman, he's like, what should be done? For the man, the king delights to honor. Like, what would you do? Like, how could I possibly, you know, reward this person? And now Haman, being full of himself, pride, thought the king was talking about him. So he answers, oh, I got it. I, I totally know what should be done here. Have them bring the royal robe. Not just any robe, but like one the king has worn. So people will like recognize it and be like, that is the king's robe. And not only that, but have the horse that it, the king has ridden. Like people are like, that's the king's horse. And one with the royal crest on its head. Like do that horse up. So everybody knows this man is like something. And entrust them to the man that the king delights to honor and lead him on a horse through the city gates, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Now, Haman had to been getting pretty excited, like planning his own reward. I mean, what could get better than that, right? Like if you, someone said, what, what, would, what do you think is a good reward? Like, I'd be like, I could think of a few things, right? <laughs> Some good things. And the king says, go at once, get the robe, get the horse and do just what you suggested. And Haman's probably like, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. It's me. It's me. It's me. It kind of reminds me of like when someone thinks that their name is going to be called and then it's not them. That totally, I'll just tell you on a side note, that totally happened to my daughter. We were at a, uh, the youth rally, youth event, and they called the name and my daughter was like, is that, did they call my name? And my husband says, yeah, yeah, they did. They called your name. So she runs down there. I mean, like runs, like excited, very excited to receive the gift card, whatever gift card it was. And she gets up there and there's another girl that <laughs> also ran down there. And Les was thinking, um, yeah, girl, <laughs> this is mine. And then she's like, so, so what name did you call? And he says it, well, guess what? It wasn't my daughter's name. And she was boiling mad at my husband. She's like, how could you do that? How could you embarrass me like that? I think it was similar probably on a lot higher level with Haman where it's like, it's me, it's me, it's me, it's me. And then he's like, do all that, but do it for Mordecai. And if that wasn't bad enough, he's like, and you, Haman, you're the one who's going to do it. You're going to put the royal robe on him. You're going to put him on my royal horse. You're going to make sure that horse is ready. And you get to lead. 
Mordecai through the streets and you get to say, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. What a moment. What a moment. That, I'm sure Haman was like, I want to die right now. Could anything be worse right now? I was coming to ask for this man to die. And now I have to lead him to the streets and yell this. I can't imagine what his attitude was like. I can't imagine how he yelled. He was probably, this is what's on with the mannequin delusion. <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. But he does it, right? Because what are you going to do? Say no to the king? Like, no, sorry, I pass. No, you're going to do what the king tells you to do. And afterwards, Mordecai just goes back to where he's always is at the city gates. We talked about that last time. He's always at the city gates. But Haman, on the other hand, rushes home. It says he was filled with grief. And he tells his wife and his friends all that happened. Now, I don't know if his friends were just hanging out at his house all the time or if he had to call them, which they didn't have telephones or texting. So how he got all these friends over in a quick amount of time, I have no idea. But he did, and he felt like it was important to get them there so he could whine again. Now, what's interesting here is that the same people who tell him to build the gallows tell him, uh, you're screwed, dude. Like, um... You can't stand against Mordecai. He's he's bested you. Basically, you're going to lose this situation. So, well, we don't know what to tell you. <laughs> the same people are like, hey, build the gallows. You can hang him and you can have a great time. The feast are like, eh, I don't, Haman, you, you don't have this. You're, you're they, this, it's over. Game over for you. And what's interesting, while he's still talking, he's probably like arguing with him. What do you mean you're telling me that? That I can't, I can't best him. The eunuchs come to get him to take him to Esther's second banquet. So guess who's not going to the banquet all happy? Haman. So we get to banquet two. The king, Haman, and what else? If you said wine, you are correct. I'm sure that the king had to be quite intrigued. Like, what does this girl want from me? Because he says again, what is your petition? What is your request? Even up to half of my kingdom, it will be granted. And Queen Esther answers. Now I'll get my Bible. This is the time. I got the right spot here. I want to read exactly what she said. She's The Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor with you, O king, and if it pleases your majesty, spare my people. Do you notice she doesn't say herself? She says, spare my people. This is my request. Then she enters herself. For I and my people have been sold for destruction and slaughter and annihilation. Man, I just actually noticed that, that she didn't say herself first. She was like, spare my people. This is my request. And then she's like, oh, and by the way, I'm a part of that. I'm a Jew. So could you spare my life as well? Man, this woman is amazing. Like, I'd be like, I'm going to die. Can you please spare my life? But that's not what Esther does. Now, obviously, the king's like, um, enraged <laughs> would be a word. And that's what it says. 
because he's like, um, who is he? Like, tell me now, who is the man who would dare do such a thing? I don't know if it was really about the Jews, but obviously Esther was lumped into that and it was important for him to know that because she was his queen. That means somebody has put a hit out on his wife's life and he is not having any of it. And Esther's answer to him is, the adversary and enemy is this vile Haman. Now Haman had to have crapped his pants, you guys, in this moment. I mean, <laughs> he had to have been like, wait, what? Well, oh, oh my gosh, what have I done? Like, it's not just about the Jews, it's about the queen. He has... He has come against the king's wife. This is, it says he was terrified as he should have been. Because you have to remember Esther, he did not know that Esther was a Jew. Haman had no idea that when he asked for the Jews to be annihilated, that Queen Esther was a part of it. Essentially, without knowing it, he had decreed that the queen was to be killed. And he didn't know it until that moment. And then he probably was like, where's a hole? How do I get out of here? Because this is not good for Haman. And the king is so angry, rightfully so, at Haman and in a rage, he leaves his wine. It says that, you guys. It says he leaves his wine. We know the man likes his wine. So he must have been really ticked off (laughs) because he left the wine. He didn't take the wine with him. He didn't gulp it. He left it. He was mad. And he goes to the palace garden. And Haman, realizing his fate had already been decided, he knew he was dead. He was a dead man walking now. He begs Queen Esther for his life. And rightly so. Can you blame? I mean, he's he knows he's dead. Now, if things couldn't have already been bad, just as the king is returning to the banquet, Haman is falling on the couch that Esther is sitting and he begs for his life. This situation does not look good. To see a man like basically throwing himself at the queen The king explains, will he even molest the queen while she is with me in my house? Like, he's like, whoa, dude. Now you, like, it was bad before, but this went too far. And as soon as the king says this, they cover Haman's face, which is actually um, in the Greek and Roman worlds, the face of a person condemned to die was covered to indicate his sentence. So that's an interesting fact. So... Then Harbana, one of the eunuchs who's there, sees this whole thing plays out, offers some information to the king because obviously Haman's going to die. And he's like, um, you know, Haman has built a gallows. It's 75 feet high. It's in his yard. And he adds this. He said, he made it to hang Mordecai who spoke up and saved the king. Don't know if you want to use that or not, but seems like a good idea. It had to have been like a, I wonder if he said it like, you know, snarky or, you know, <laughs> it's like, by the way, uh, there's some gallows and um, if you want to use it, yeah, 
maybe you want to because you know he was going to use it to kill the guy that you just had like paraded around the city and is related to the queen and all of this other stuff and of course the king's reply without hesitation hang him on it and so they hung Haman on the gallows and that day the king gave Esther Haman's estate um not only that, but Mordecai actually came before the king. He had not been a part of any of that coming before the king before that because Esther reveals, this is my cousin. We're related. And the king took his signet ring, must have gotten it back from Haman, gives it to Mordecai, and Esther appointed Mordecai over Haman's estate. All good. It's all good. But is it the end? Absolutely not, because we still have a problem. If a proclamation is made and signed with the king's signet ring, it cannot be changed. It's sealed. It's done. It cannot be overturned. So the Jews' lives and Esther's, essentially, are still in danger. And Esther, again, pleads with the king for the lives of her people. And he says, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to write another decree. You're going to write it in my name on behalf of the Jews. That means he's going to back the Jews. And whatever you see fit to write in it, write it. Sign it with my signet ring. Now, you would think maybe by this time he would realize he should probably read these things. But apparently he didn't. So he gave this this task to Mordecai. So Mordecai gets to work. Because they don't have much time. The Jews are about to be annihilated and he makes sure I mean he was thorough Mordecai is thorough he makes sure that that decree goes everywhere it's in every language especially so that the Jews knew what the decree was he made sure everything was covered he crossed his t's and he dotted his i's and the king's edict guaranteed the Jews in every or granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves. So before they would have, you know, they could just kill them. They couldn't do anything. They couldn't defend themselves. There was nothing they can do. But the king is now like, listen, I can't change that people can come after you. But what I can do is allow you to defend yourselves. And not only defend yourselves, but you can destroy, you can kill, you can annihilate any armed forces of any nationality or province that might attack you and try to take any of your stuff. So each town, city, and place that that proclamation was read, was it was received with a joyous celebration. Okay, they were probably like, oh my gosh, we have a chance. <laughs> like the sigh of relief that they must have felt like, must have been enormous and so much so it says that they broke out in great celebration they had like a party because they knew it wasn't over it wasn't the end of them and actually what ended up happening was many people from different nationalities became Jews because they were like hey if you can't beat them join them so on the 13th day of the 12th month of Adar the enemies of the Jews hoped to overpower them there were still people out there to get it wasn't like oh we're just you know like gonna sit back I mean these Jews they can defend themselves there were still some people were like we're going for the Jews but guess what 
the tables were turned and the Jews had the upper hand because they assembled together to attack and destroy anybody who came against them. The nations were afraid of them. And guess what? They had some backing. All the nobles, the governors, the king's administrators came to help the Jews. And it says that the Jews struck down all their enemies, about 500 people. They also captured Haman's 10 sons. And here's what's interesting. The people that they ended up having to kill, they didn't go take their the plunder of those people. Remember, Haman was like, we're going to kill them and we're going to take their stuff. The, the Jews were totally opposite. They're like, we're only killing you to defend ourselves. We don't want your stuff. That's not what we're after. It's only to defend ourselves. So on the 13th day, they defended themselves. On the 14th day, the king asked Esther if there was anything else she wants. I mean, she's pretty much got, he's putty in her hand. She could have asked for, I bet you she could have asked for the whole kingdom and he would have given it to her. And so she does ask, she has another ask. She asks that Haman's 10 sons are hanged. Get rid of that line of people. They do not need to exist. And on the 15th day, they rested and they made it a day of joy and feasting. And what's interesting is on that day, they give gifts. They were generous to the poor. Totally opposite of what Haman was trying to acquire. Now Mordecai recorded all of the events. He, he recorded everything that happened. Everything that had happened before them destroying the people that were coming after them. And he sent letters to all of the Jews that on the 14th and the 15th day of Adar, as a time the Jews got relief from their enemies, when their sorrows were turned to joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. And he wrote to them to observe these days moving forward. He was like, listen, this is important and you need to pay attention to it. And the Jews agreed to what he wrote. They they were like, yeah, Haman planted against us and he cast a purr, which is a lot for their ruin and destruction. And that is actually how they got the name Purim, which is actually the whole chapter of 11 in Esther is dedicated to the people knowing what this day was about and what it stood for, what the celebration of Purim was for. And so it's kind of cool that a whole chapter is dedicated to that because he was like, listen, you guys need to remember. And it actually says Esther and Mordecai wrote with full authority and to confirm this celebration so that the people would never forget. The end. (laughs) That is actually the end of Esther. What a crazy ride. So how does one wrap up the book of Esther? Because (laughs) I feel like there's so much. And I feel like that's what we did along the way. We pointed out things. But I do want to leave you with this one thing. Because this is what I gleaned from Esther. Now I feel like I'm going to get emotional. I feel like it's my takeaway. So I'll just share my takeaway with you. One of the things that has always bothered me about the book of Esther was that God's name was never mentioned. I don't know why that bothered me. And I might have mentioned that in the first podcast, but that was two podcasts ago, you guys. But after doing this podcast, I think it's my favorite thing. 
I think I love that his name wasn't mentioned because I feel like it kind of parallels life. And this is what I mean. God isn't physically with us. He's here in spirit. He lives inside of us. But there's not this tangible being that we get to be around all the time. Yet, we see him in every detail of our life. Just like Esther, he's not mentioned, yet we see him in every detail of this book. We see him orchestrating behind the scenes of this account. Just like in our lives, even though we may not physically see him doing something, he is constantly orchestrating behind the scenes. He sees the bigger picture. He's, he, I feel like he was steering Esther into specifically doing things at certain times. His timing was impeccable. And his timing is impeccable with us. Each obstacle that came her way, God was in it. And what I have found is each obstacle that comes my way, I have seen God. Even though I physically cannot see him. He was an ever-present God in the story of Esther. And I believe without a shadow of a doubt that he is an ever-present God in our lives as well. That's one of my biggest takeaways. So much more. And obviously I pointed those out. But I pray that you learned something. I pray that you fell in love with a book of the Bible. That God's word. I pray that you did. And can't wait to do another book with you one day. Alright, love ya. See you next week.